Hey God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the lessons that us students have learned throughout this week of drawing closer to you so that you may draw close to us. God, I just ask that you be with me and that you use my words to ultimately glorify you and help others draw close to you. We love you. In your name, amen. September 12, 1913, a man named James Cleveland Owens, or better known as Jesse Owens, was born in Oakville, Alabama. Now in 1913, Oakville, Alabama, and the entire South in general, was heavily segregated, so much so that Jesse and his family, consisting of his parents and all nine of his siblings, had to move north as part of the Great Migration. They moved to the industrialized city of Cleveland, Ohio, in hopes for a better uh, future. Now, throughout his youth, Jesse had to work several jobs. He would deliver groceries, he loaded freight cars, he even worked in a shoe repair shop. And this was probably kind of cool because, as you'll see later, that's, that's something he liked, right? But he would, he would work these menial jobs just to help his family make ends meet. But, as you probably suspect, that is not what Jesse Owens is known for. Jesse Owens is known as being one of the most impressive athletes this world has ever seen. And on top of that, he is known for being resilient and displaying great courage in the midst of all odds. Jesse Owens displayed a passion for running that would eventually allow him to change the world. Now, Jesse's passion for running and his natural gift first came into attention, into national attention, when he was in high school. He was a high school student. And in 1933, at the National High School Championship in Chicago, Jesse Owens equaled the current world record of 9.4 seconds for a 100-yard dash, and he also jumped a distance of 24 feet, 9.5 inches. Now, I was a high school athlete too. I played basketball, I played football, I ran cross country a little bit. You know, I, I tried to do it all at my little school. But I cannot say that I jumped 24 feet, nine and a half inches. And if I did, I'd probably be like an all-star in basketball or whatever, you know? So I'd say this is pretty impressive. And I know, you know, I know I wasn't doing that in high school, like I said. But later on, after high school, Owens attended Ohio State University. And due to his athletic prowess, and he, be quickly, he quickly became known as the Buckeye Bullet. So during his time at Ohio State, Owens was able to break more records, just like what we, we kind of listened to earlier. He, he won eight individual NCAA championships. And all of these accomplishments from high school through college paved his way for Jesse Owens to become an Olympian in 1936. So Owens was so successful and loved by many at college in his college career, but he dealt with racism and segregation every step of the way. Jesse was forced to live off campus with other African-American athletes. And when he traveled with his own team, he was restricted to black-only hotels. When he, you know, when they went out to eat, he couldn't eat with his own team. And on top of it all, he wasn't even awarded any scholarships for what he was doing at Ohio State. Owens earned many medals and trophies, but as his fame grew, 
I can't really say his circumstances got any better. In fact, I think they just got worse. Jesse Owens was headed for the 1936 Olympics taking place in Berlin, which at the time happened to be the capital of Nazi Germany. Now, Adolf Hitler hoped that the 1936 Olympic Games would be dominated by his Aryan German athletes and used to create a resurgent Nazi Germany. So when I think about Jesse stepping foot into Berlin, I, I got to think that, man, he had a lot to deal with. You know, he, like the odds were stacked up against him in every way imaginable. I mean, just think about it. First of all, Jesse Owens' own country didn't even let him eat or sleep with his teammates. And now he's competing in the center of Nazi Germany, a country run by a man who thought the only right race was the Aryans, was the Germans. I don't know, but that sounds like a lot of pressure to me. Failure seemed imminent. And there were many who wanted him to lose, but against all odds, Jesse Owens found himself atop the Olympic podium, not once, not twice, no, four times. Four times Jesse Owens won the gold medal, each time beating one of Hitler's Aryan athletes. So there's, there's one thing that Jesse Owens had going for him during his time in Berlin. Jesse has this passion for running. It was his passion that made him a great runner. It was this passion that got him national fame in high school and college. And it's this passion that made him an Olympian and allowed him to show the world that there's a better way. Jesse Owens' passion was the one thing that he had left, and it's the one thing that got him through. Not even segregation or Hitler could destroy it. So, like I said earlier, my name is Zach, and I want to welcome you to the ASVU student-led week of worship. Throughout this week, we have had a chance to listen to a number of students share their stories and proclaim of the power that a relationship with God has in their lives. And in case you're just jumping in with us on the weekend, I want to give you a little bit of context. Our theme for this week has been together again. And I know it's really easy to think, oh, all of the college students are back at Walla Walla. You know, we're all here together, at least most of us. And so that must be what this theme is all about. But you would be wrong. That's not what this theme is about. Together again is all about rekindling our faith and pursuing a relationship with Jesus. It's about seeking to be together with our Heavenly Father once again. And this week, we've discussed the importance of several different things in our spiritual lives. We've discussed seeking Him through the Bible, through prayer, through service. And we've also discussed seeking or the importance of faith and perseverance as we seek Him. Together again with Jesus. And all of you know, our lives have looked drastically different since, you know, what, last March or something in the last 10 months. We have gone from people who would share food at potluck probably right after this to people who don't even really know if it's okay to shake hands or welcome each other with a hug. And in fact, it might not be okay for that. I know I've definitely been like one of those awkward people who goes up to somebody and like, oh, wait, uh, like, I, you don't know what to do, right? I've just kind of resorted to a wave at this point. But social distancing hasn't on, been the only hot topic of 2020. 
and even 2021 so far. The horrific death of George Floyd brought our country so much pain and hurt. You know, I vividly remember hearing about that. I was at Silver Mountain in Idaho and I was riding bikes with a friend and, and bikes is honestly, that's the one thing I could probably do for the rest of my life and be completely happy about it. I love riding bikes. A lot of people who know me, you know, you could attest to that. But when I heard the news of the death of George Floyd and what was going on, instantly, I didn't really want to ride my bike that weekend in Silver Mountain. It just felt wrong, you know, and it, I didn't know what to do. My heart was heavy. And as I scrolled through Instagram, I think there's a new term for it now. It's called doom scrolling. Um, I began to feel overwhelmed to the point where, you know, I couldn't see what came next. As a country, as a person, where did I go from here? Where did I go from that moment? And today we are still mourning his loss and fighting one another based on the color of our skin. And I think that is so sad. I don't understand. The list goes on though. A little bit more than a week ago, our capital was stormed, showing just how divided our country has become. Now, whether it's COVID, race, or politics, there are so many odds that are stacked up against us right now. You know, there have been times throughout this last year, and you know, even recently, where I felt like the odds are entirely stacked up against myself and us. And our Azu team has felt the same way. So we began to think, you know, the spiritual team, we began to think. And last quarter, we, we thought, you know, what is the best way that we can support each other? So we threw together a weekend of worship based around this theme that we thought was more applicable than anything that we could think of. And this theme was love above all. Now, what, uh, what things can love not cure? You know, I think of anything that goes wrong, like, you know, somebody says something mean to me. I'm like, wow, if they were just loving, that would be, that wouldn't have been a problem. And, and even Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 26, 37 through 39, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he goes on to say this. He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think any of us would really argue with Jesus, right? I think it'd be foolish. That guy was one smart guy, and he, he knew what he was talking about. We all know the importance of love, and honestly, this is, this is what Christianity is all about, right? It is through his love that we are saved. But in my opinion, there's one catch. How in the world do we love like that? How do we love as much as he does? How do we love in a way that makes those around us feel connected in one of the loneliest times of our lives? How do we love in a way that brings people together regardless of background? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves, especially when they're red and we're blue or vice versa? I'll be the first one to tell you that it's impossible. It can't be done unless we have help. Now, Philippians 4.13, it's a classic, right? We all know this. It states, for I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Think about that. We can do anything we can love anyone. We can keep our heads, heads held high no matter what. But pay attention to the keywords here. Through Christ. Through Christ. 
Let me just say it one more time in case you guys missed it. Through Christ, he is the answer. Now, I'm a major sports fan. I mentioned that I like sports and I played a lot of them in high school. Um, so naturally, I'm drawn to this story of Jesse Owens. And, and when sports is paired with, you know, a story of an underdog achieving and overcoming all odds, man, I'm a sucker for that. So let's go back to that story of Jesse Owens. Owens has a remarkable story, one that has inspired many people all around the world, me included. He is someone who had the odds stacked up against him and seemingly no way to overcome, right? Yet he did. And like I said earlier, he did so because of one reason. He had this passion for running that stood against all of those odds. So what if I told you that you have a similar story? Many of us feel like the odds are against all of us too. You know, we're seeking to find stability and normalcy in our new normal of COVID-19. And that's been tough. You know, I've had to (laughs) send text messages and emails out when I could just talk to people or I could have just talked to people and like to their face and that's much easier. But sadly, some of us are also still fighting for the equality that, that we deserve. Our world and, our, and the craziness of this past year seems out of control, and the odds seem stacked up against us. This world, failure is imminent. The second sin came into the world, well, that's when our chances for success decreased beyond measure. We aren't supposed to succeed. Right now, we're walking into Berlin, and we're about to race all of the world's best athletes, and nobody wants us to win. But because of him, we'll be walking out with gold medals hanging from our neck. He is the only thing that matters, and he is the only thing that we have left. Because of him, we don't have to worry about the odds. He, he knew what we would have to go through. He knew all of that because he was like us. He lived a life with more odds stacked up against him than we can even imagine. And He told us this in John. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. God, Jesus has overcome the world. So I guess I can't really speak for any of you, but personally, I've had a really hard time feeling his presence in this whole new reality of online everything. My spiritual life has taken a hit has yours. However, I decided that I'm done with that. I'm done waiting to be right here in this sanctuary, singing at the top of my lungs with all of my friends and Walla Walla family to feel his presence again. I'm tired of going downstairs to Circle Church or Berean or Renew, our student churches, to experience God again. Heck, if I'm honest, I'm done choosing to watch Netflix over just jumping into the Bible for, you know, 10 minutes a day even. And I'm done com- like scrolling through Instagram when I could easily just be listening to some praise music and, and praising him. I'm done coming up with any excuse to avoid worshiping him. And I hope you are too, because let me tell you, he is all that we have left. Now this week, you know, I've, I've kind of mentioned it before, but our, our theme was together again. And, you know, I mentioned why that, why that was, but I've learned so much 
throughout this last week. I know the spiritual team can attest to that. Like they've learned a lot too. But I think the thing that I've learned most throughout all of that has happened is God is present now. You know, I kind of want to take you through the preparation process because man, it was, it was wild. Last, last quarter, I think it was towards the end of the quarter, we, we started planning this week of, week of worship. So we were picking speakers. We were praying that they were the right ones. We were reaching out to them and, you know, reaching out to administration because, you know, we live in a time where everything changes week to week, it seems. And, you know, we had to do this all through our phones, through email, through everything. And, and you know, <laughs> if you ask anybody in my life, they will tell you that I am not super good at communicating through a phone. Maybe face-to-face, but through a phone, man, I let text messages slide like no other. And so that was so difficult. And, you know, last, over the Christmas break, I was working on plans, and it seemed like, you know, every, every few days, the plan had to change, and I had to, sw- like, scratch everything and jump into something completely new because we didn't know if we were going to be in person. We didn't know if we were going to be online. I didn't know if speakers knew what was going on at all. And I was just hoping that maybe everything would work out. You know, and uh, last week comes and, you know, I'm thinking, wow, we got a week till we start. I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, sure enough, the day came Monday, this Monday. um, At 1140, I was supposed to go live you know, with, with a couple speakers ready to discuss, but in front of 1,200 students. And, you know, I'm just sitting there right before clicking go live, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, if the Wi-Fi goes down, that's it. You know, if the speakers don't know what's going to happen, that's it. I don't know what to do. And so I just thought, you know, like, I hope this works. And I clicked go live, and guess what? It all worked out. And I couldn't believe it. It wasn't because of me. I had frantically thrown that worship together last minute. But it all went well. And Tuesday, I, I signed in, and I, I was about to click that go live button, and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Hopefully, the Wi-Fi is going to work for me. And I, I clicked go live, and guess what? Everything worked out. And Wednesday, I clicked go live, and Wednesday, I think we had a, uh, a video not actually work. But guess what? Everything worked out. One of our speakers, with literally two seconds notice, went live and gave her her sermon right then and there. And it was beautiful. God was moving each and every morning. And, And more than just in the mornings, each night, Monday through Wednesday, we had small groups meet that were based on, you know, special aspects of our spiritual lives. And, you know, Monday, Monday we met and it was a Bible study. So we're diving into God's word to seek him through what he has given us in his word. And so, we, we would meet at 8 p.m. and I, I was signing on at 7.59, you know, just like in the mornings, I was kind of second guessing myself and I was like, ah, I don't know if anybody's gonna be here. I don't know, you know? But sure enough, as, as I joined that meeting, there's 20 students ready to dive into God's word and see him for themselves. And we had a beautiful discussion where I could tell you with a, without a shadow of a doubt that God was there with us. And Tuesday night, I think Tuesday night might have been my favorite moment of this whole entire week. Tuesday night, we were going to have a prayer group. And, you know, I've been in prayer groups. I bet you have too. And I've often thought like, man, I I don't know when to hop in and I don't know when to pray. I don't know when to like chime in and whatever. And it's, it's even worse when we're online, right? Like us students, we don't even know when to like try to interrupt the teacher to ask a question. In all of our meetings, nobody pipes up because 
We don't know if somebody else is going to, and you can't read that. So I, I was at, you know, just on my computer at 7.59 before I signed into that meeting thinking, man, nobody's going to be here. Nobody's going to be here. And I signed on, but sure enough, there was 25 students there ready to seek God through prayer and communicate with him personally. And let me tell you, we discussed what prayer means in our lives through that computer, and everybody was just so open and sharing everything that they had learned throughout this week, and, and it was beautiful. You know, it's, as soon as we started praying, you could feel God's presence in your room with you, but also through the screen. And that was so encouraging to me. You know, that's what this week was all about, was feeling God's presence. God is present right now in the midst of everything. Our, our theme verse, James 4.8, you know, Ali gave, a, gave like a description of it and read it. And it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, every student I talked to, they thought the exact same thing. They were like, wow, God is blunt. You know, he's just kind of giving it to us straight, right? But the more we, we looked into what this passage, passage was saying, the more we realize we could apply it to our lives in the here and now. You know, I'll be the first one to tell you that I spend way too much time on Netflix. You know, I am a Grey's Anatomy addict, and uh, (laughs) dramatic doctors, that's some funny stuff. But let me tell you, they're not nearly as cool as God is. And Instagram, I spend too much time on Instagram, but Instagram's not nearly as interesting as God is. And you know, it's crazy to think how, how much of a double-minded life I've been living. I, I live one way and expect God to just pull me away. But that's not exactly what he's telling us to do in this verse. He wants us to come close to him, put away our, our distractions and come close to him so that we might feel his presence. We are all underdogs and we need him now more than ever before. So to end things off, I want to talk about one of my favorite figures in the Bible. His name is Peter. I'm sure all of you have known of him. But I don't know exactly why he's my favorite, but maybe it's because I see myself in Peter just a little bit. You know, Peter is stubborn. He seems to jump to conclusions from time to time, and he can even be a little dramatic. Unfortunately, I definitely can relate with that. I jump to conclusions, and I can be traumatic, traumatic from time to time. But Peter also portrays some amazing characteristics, and he is someone I look up to a lot. He exudes this passion for Jesus, and you can tell from reading the Gospels that he would do anything for him. Well, besides the night where he lied three times, but that's besides the point. This last summer, I started watching a TV show called The Chosen, and if you haven't seen The Chosen, it's amazing. It's, it's all about the life of Christ. And in one of these episodes, it follows Peter and provides some context um, behind what makes him the way he is. You know, and in the first scenes, it shows him as this hot-tempered troublemaker, right? It opens up in the streets, and, and there's just this massive brawl where Peter's just, like, angry, and, like, you could see just, like, his temper about to, like, about to explode, and he's throwing hands, and he's trying to win this bet just to make some extra money. But on top of that, as his storyline continues there in The Chosen, 
we see Peter as a man who is under Roman rule. You know, he is portrayed under the pressure of paying off debts to the Romans. He begins making deals with them and throwing his own people under the, under the bus in order to just make a little extra cash. He's doing anything that he can to make ends meet, but it's not working. Peter quickly gets in over his head and the odds get stacked up against him. He begins to start working double time. You know, it, it shows him like sneaking around, like trying to like not let his wife and family know that he's working on the Sabbath, but he is. And, and his wife does find out and he, she, she disapproves of it. But what can he do? He, he has to make some money. He's working as hard as he can. And eventually he's told that, that the Romans are coming for him, intent on settling his debts. Now, I'm just a business major. Um, I'm pre-med too. So I have not studied any biblical languages. I don't know anything about Latin. But when it says the Romans are coming for him, I think that means some pretty not good things. And I heard of the Romans. They're pretty, pretty gruesome. But in order to try his last, his just, he's in desperation, right? He goes out at one, one night, which he believes is going to be his last. And he starts casting his nets nothing. The night goes on. He's still casting his nets, and he's still catching nothing. Eventually, his brother and Andrew and, and some of his friends meet him out in the, on the sea in, in hopes that maybe, just maybe, a miracle can, will take place, and they'll catch some fish. But as the sun comes up the next day, guess what? Still no fish. Peter begins to realize that failure is imminent. He puts his nets back into his boat, his head down, and he starts sailing for the shore. Now, there's this moment in the boat where he, he begins to see this crowd of people on the shore. And, you know, I, I can only imagine that feeling in his stomach. He just, he doesn't even want to go to the shore, but he knows he has to. And as he gets close to the shore, thinking that there's a bunch of Romans just waiting to to take him off to prison or death or whatever comes, Peter realizes that it wasn't Romans. In fact, there's this group of people sitting on this beach and there's this man standing in front of them. This man is talking about the promises of heaven. And as, as Peter pulls his boat onto the shore, that man turns around and tells Peter to throw his net back into the sea. Now, Peter's stubborn. He isn't having it. He's probably rolling his eyes and like, dude, come on. But this man, again, tells Peter to throw his net into the sea. So eventually Peter, probably rolling his eyes like, eyes, like I said, throws his net into the sea. And all of a sudden, this net is being pulled in every which direction, almost capsizing the boat. The Chosen portrays this so perfectly. There's, there's fish jumping everywhere. There's water just like being sprayed in every which direction. And Peter just like, is in disbelief and he's pulling as hard as he can. And Peter's a fisherman. He's a strong guy. He knows what this is all about, but he cannot get that, that net into his boat. And so Andrew and his friends come over and they're all trying and they're pulling as hard as they can, but still they can't get that much fish into the boat. So they continue pulling and eventually they're able to manage at least a little bit into the boat so they can get more in and, and they're in disbelief. Peter, with tears in his eyes, bows down to this man. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
But the response he gets is one that he couldn't see coming. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to see it coming. Follow me, the man said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Peter's life is one of the greatest redemption stories ever told. And it's all because of the man who told him to throw his net into the sea just one more time. And it's because of that man who also asked Peter to follow him. That man is Jesus, and he is urging us to do the same, to drop everything and follow him. Now, one thing I find fascinating about this story in the Bible is that fish are Peter's life, right? That's what, he wakes up in the morning to go catch fish. He goes to bed thinking about the next day, I'm gonna go catch fish. There is livelihood. And like I said earlier, life was hard for Jewish people under the Roman rule. His life was hard as a fisherman, but Peter's response to a boat full of fish, his problem solved, and his pockets now loaded, his response was to drop to his knees and worship, then to leave his boat, fish and all, and follow Jesus. Faced with all that he could want, Peter left it all for Jesus. The odds were stacked up against Jesse Owens. The odds were stacked up against Peter. The odds may seem stacked up against you too. Social distancing, online classes, isolation, inequality, politics, whatever they are, the odds are heavy. And I feel it too. They're stacked up against me. They're stacked up against you, against all of us. But just like Peter, when all that we have is Jesus, we have all that we need. I encourage each of us today to renew our relationship with Jesus. Don't wait for Vespers to praise him. Pull up a song on Spotify and sing at the top of your lungs, in the shower, in the car, whatever you like to do. Don't wait for a pastor to tell you a story about Jesus. Carve out 15 minutes each day to seek him. Don't wait for church to meet in person, but grab some friends, some family, and start a Bible study, even if it's online, because let me tell you, God is present through screens. Like I said, I'm done waiting. Jesus is here right now. He has always been here. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is with us, and with him, we can do anything. And then, when all that we have is Jesus, we can know that we have all that we need. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.